Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've tuned in. If you've been paying attention to the national news for the last couple of weeks, you've undoubtedly heard about the raging California wildfires and efforts to curb them through planned massive blackouts that affect hundreds of thousands of customers. While the climate is different here in Michigan, the move by Pacific Gas and Electric raises an important question. Is it really only a matter of time before mass blackouts become a normal part of life for people all over the country? That's where we want to start the show today, with the discussion of the idea of the stress that climate change is putting on our electrical grid and what consequences we might see from that in the near future. Here to talk with us about grid resilience and the risks we face in the age of climate change is Larissa Larson. She is an associate professor in the Urban and Regional Planning Program at the University of Michigan. Uh, Larissa, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Also with us is Robert Nelson, and he served as a commissioner on the Michigan Public Service Commission from 1999 to 2005. He's currently the president of the Citizens Utility Board of Michigan. Robert, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, it's good to be here, Steve. So, uh, Larissa, I'm going to start with you. Uh, Talk about what a changing climate means for grid resilience, not just in California, where we're seeing a tension rise between those two things, but uh, here in Metro Detroit and around the country. Well, we know that in this part of uh, the United States, our big concern of uh, concerns about climate involves more extreme heat events and more flooding. And so certainly it's the heat, I think, that is more relevant for this discussion about the electrical grid. Most people are aware that our our infrastructure is deteriorating. We haven't um, uh, upgraded in quite a long time. And there's some things that happen. If um, we're starting to see more intense heat periods earlier in the season, and we know that um, the frequency of disruptions are increasing. So there's a real environmental justice kind of component to this that people are quite worried about, particularly for elderly people, um, people who are isolated because of physical or mental disease, uh, and also to um, the very poor who can only limit themselves you know, in using it because of the cost. Mm. So uh, for people who are not terribly familiar with this, talk about what the relationship is between intense heat and the electrical grid. Why is it that the solve for these California wildfires involves blackouts, blackouts that are that are uh, uh, induced purposely uh, by by the electrical managers. Sure. So um, the the utility PG and E is cutting off um, uh, service in the part because the the electrical transmission lines, the wires are sparking wildfires during this very, um, during this, the, um, the ongoing season right now. It, um, climate has made things very, very dry there, and so the uh, fires with embers start very quickly. And so that, they're purposefully um, putting, taking the grid, like turning off the power there. I think we're also equally concerned about situations where the power isn't purposefully turned off, but happens because too many people are drawing upon it at one time hmm. that we see when, when temperatures spike. Hmm. 
Robert Nelson, talk about the studies that have been conducted by the Citizens Utility Board in relation to reliability rates in the Detroit area and how they relate to our power provider, DTE Energy. Okay. Uh, we did some studies earlier this year, and uh, we looked at reliability and affordability and environmental impact. And we found that uh, Michigan is the fourth worst in terms of restoration after an outage, how, how long it takes to restore a customer after an outage in the country. Uh, and, in fact, DTE is the worst among all Michigan utilities. And so uh, there's work to be done out there. Uh, DTE takes way too long to restore power uh, to customers after an outage. And as uh, the professor just mentioned, it, it really is a harmful impact for low-income customers and senior citizens uh, to have that much time going between an, uh, after an outage and restoration of power. Mm. We also look at uh, affordability, and, and Michigan is uh, uh, the highest rates, has the highest rates in the Midwest, uh, not in the country, but the highest in the Midwest. And so the Public Service Commission is giving Edison money, money, and at the same time they're not using it wisely enough to uh, help restore power quickly. Uh, We should mention that we asked DTE to join this conversation and uh, explain their side of of this issue, and they were unable to do that. Uh, We will try at some other time to get someone from DTE to come join the program and talk about how they're dealing with this issue. But, But Robert, how much of what you're seeing has to do, in your estimation, with new stresses created by changes in the climate? Well, I, I think that's a good question. I, I think uh, there, there is definitely some impact on the changes in the climate uh, in terms of um, how long it takes to restore power. Uh, we, uh, we see, uh, for example, that uh, the, the uh, added heat in the summer really provides an enormous stress on the system. And we do have an aging system here in Michigan. And so uh, you have these intense heat uh, sessions in the summer, and that puts stress on the whole system. And uh, as I say, one, once there is an outage, Edison takes a long time to restore power, and that's the time when you need power restored quickly is in the summer, and uh, they're not doing it. Hmm. Uh, Larissa Larson, one one of the things that I think comes to people's minds when they hear about things like this, when they hear, okay, there is more heat and it's causing wires to spark, and that means that uh, in California they're going to pull the grid down as a way to prevent some of these wildfires or at least prevent them from spreading. What's the solve for that? What is the, the answer to fixing that in a way that you don't have to pull the power grid down. Hmm. Well, um, one one approach I know is is the idea of islanding. So right now in the United States, there are three major grids: the West Coast, Texas, and the East Coast into Ontario. And um, I think many people will remember in August two thousand and three when due to some trees in Akron, Ohio, we saw uh, 20% of the power go down in the United States. Um, So there's a concept called islanding, and that means you decouple local grids from the larger system. So therefore, if you have to, or by either um, uh, an event, 
that takes the power out or you purposefully turn the power down, it means then it doesn't have the impact on the, the rest of the transmission network. And so that is one approach to it. Another are microsensors. These are placed on lines or at substations, and they can indicate blackouts um, early to, to the um, utility company. In the past, the utility company, if power went down, they often relied on people to call in, and then they had to send teams out to, to investigate what's happening. Some of these microsensors now allow them to um, be more proactive in understanding what is the cause of that power outage. And, and talk about the things that you see in the climate changing here in Michigan, other than heat, that might cause us to have to deal with not just the electrical grid, I guess, but, but other kinds of changes and adaptations to make sure that, that things work the way that we need them to. I th- I'm thinking about the increased precipitation year after year, mm-hmm. the increased intensity in the storms that we see here in Michigan. Are those also threats? to the grid. Absolutely. So I know um, residents of Detroit have experienced some some issues of flooding in the last few years, and that is directly related to the fact that we are having more intense precipitation events, rain events. I know in the city of Ann Arbor, not too far away from Detroit, that that the amount of rain received annually is is up over the last 30 years by either 30 to 40 percent. Um, so we are we are getting more rain, and our system um, in Detroit we have a combined stormwater uh, system so that that um, sewage and stormwater when there's a big rain event there has to be there's direct release into the receiving waters, and so that's a, so there are water quality issues related to this as well as the nuisance of flooding. Mm. Robert Nelson, uh, talk about what DTE is doing to try to make things better. After that blackout in 2003, there's been a lot of money that's spent trying to increase the reliability of the electrical grid. Is it your assessment that DTE is not moving fast enough in that direction? Well, in some areas they are. You know, uh, the commission has given them substantial amounts of money for tree trimming operations. And so they have been trimming trees much more frequently now than they were prior to 2003. And so that is one good factor for them. Uh, On the other hand, they do have uh, a very aging infrastructure uh, distribution system. And and, uh, the commission wants them to spend more money improving that system uh, in the the coming years. And uh, so that's where they have to be spending their time and money uh, is improving the infrastructure right now. And when you say improving the infrastructure, talk about what specifically that means for something, for a company like DTE. Well, it means uh, putting money into uh, getting new distribution wires, for example, uh, replacing old distribution wires. It means uh, uh, because they don't own transmission anymore, it means interconnections with the transmission companies so that uh, those are solid and, and uh, uh, enhanced. Uh, and it just means basically uh, uh, making sure the trees are trimmed properly uh, so that you don't have outages due to, uh, the, as uh, the professor said with this, uh, the Akron, Ohio incident was, was due to lack of tree trimming. And so it's important that they do trim those trees. Uh, and so they have been doing that, and uh, they should be spending... Uh, more money on that as well. Hmm. 
Larissa Larson, I, I wonder if you can also talk about some of the choices that we are making in terms of lifestyle and life, I guess, in the, in this country. So in, in California, where we see these wildfires raging, that this is something that's happening year after year, and yet we continue to build homes and businesses and other things in areas where, where this happens. I wonder how soon, I guess, we, we will be required to think differently about where we build residential developments, for instance, where we build cities and towns. Uh, this, these things are not happening everywhere. They are happening in specific places. You're absolutely correct. And people have a lot of investment in properties, often in these very fragile locations. Uh, I think we have to start to be more respectful of the natural systems, which we're seeing, again, more more events happening, uh, exacerbated by climate change. But in this part of the country, like uh, floodplains, um, they are, you know, they're not getting smaller, and we're increasing impervious surfaces. So I think we have to, in part, it's reducing or removing or charging the real cost of replacement or insurance to people. Mm. And so right now, um, through the flood insurance program, we have not, Obama tried to make changes in it to uh, take it to a more market realistic condition, but we have to stop subsidizing some of these things. We have to ask hard questions about if a disaster happens, you know, will money be given to replace that actual structure in that location? And and, and really, really hard decisions are going to be relocating communities. Um, there are many situations um, that you really have to wonder how long people can stay where they are. Can you think of places here in Michigan that might raise those kinds of challenges and, and see climate, uh, the consequences of climate change to that sort of extent that we have to think about whether we can have people live in a certain place anymore? Well, I'm hesitant to name any location, mm -hmm. but certainly um, we have situations where people are living in um, the floodplains of some of the rivers around here, and riverine flooding is a big issue. Um, so I know that even here in Ann Arbor, they're trying to purchase some properties that are in the floodplain and to, uh, and to, and remove that risk there, and then use green infrastructure and other strategies to try and help reduce you know the the impacts. But um, in this country, private property is is incredibly powerful, mm -hmm. and it's going to be thinking about strategies that we can somehow transfer development rights or somehow people maintain some value, but are able to then relocate. I think in the end, the big issue we're going to be seeing is worldwide is refugees. Right now, we're struggling with refugees for political reasons, but increasingly, they're going to be climate-related. Mm -hmm. uh, Robert Nelson, talk about what we can be doing to incentivize, I guess, DTE to improve their turnaround times with these outages, to improve the infrastructure. As you point out, there have been some things that have been done already. They don't seem to be working at the speed that we need them to work. What, what else should we be doing? Okay, well, right now, for example, uh, if a customer is out uh, for more than 16 hours during normal conditions, uh, they can apply for a credit uh, on their bill, and they can get $25, uh, but... Uh, 
they have to apply for it, so most people don't know about it. And and also, if there's a catastrophic event, uh, they can uh, get a credit after 120 hours of outage, uh, and they don't. They have to apply for that too. So to improve the incentive, they should make this automatic so that the low-income customers can get this, uh, and uh, they should uh, improve enhance the the number of dollars that a customer gets. So that if it should be more than $25 if you're out for more than 16 hours. Mm or more than 120 hours uh, in a catastrophic uh, situation. Uh, so that's one thing they can do is to improve uh, those incentives. Uh, but they can also uh, incentivize uh, the utility uh, through other means, and uh, uh, they can do that through a number of ways uh, by making sure that they're, they're rewarded for improving their overall system and, and making sure that uh, as a response to outages, they do it quickly uh, in the overall system. And so that if, if they, for example, uh, get customers back within 10 hours after an outage, they should get some kind of reward, even though uh, a lot of customers won't be getting the credit. Uh, so um, uh, there's a way, a lot of ways the commission can do to incentivize. And I think the commission is looking at this right now. They have a, separate docket going right now to look at the service quality rules to make sure that uh, the company is incentivized to improve their outage uh, reports. Okay. Larissa Larson, Associate Professor in the Urban and Regional Planning Program at the University of Michigan. It was great to have you here for this conversation. Thanks very much. Thank you so much. Also, Robert Nelson, who served as a commissioner on the Michigan Public Service Commission from 1999 to 2005, currently the president of the Citizens Utility Board of Michigan. Thank you for being here as well. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very much. All right, up next, we're going to have a conversation with former New York U.S. attorney, Preet Bharara, who has a new book about our justice system and about the quality of our political discourse right now, which he doesn't rate as very high. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Today.